I want to welcome you today to another of the lessons, thank you fellas, another of the lessons in the series of More Than Conquerors. Uh, today we're going to attack the subject of our afflictions, our afflictions. I, I got to say to you, I, I feel a little bit like the receptionist at a, at a desk up front when you walk into a place and you're not quite sure where to go. They don't have all the answers, but they can point you in the right direction. And so I want to say to you at the beginning here, I don't have all the answers when it comes to this thing of affliction. As a matter of fact, most of the time it overwhelms me, to be honest with you. I know right now that there are people seated beside you and you have no idea of the problems that they are facing in this life. And they don't show it, they don't talk about it, but they're there, they're real, and they've got them. And every service you'll have someone else that is sitting near you going through a similar type thing. And it is difficult for them. They're looking for answers, I know, and I hope today you'll find some. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about this subject of affliction. It's good to be around people who are always seeing the good in things, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you agree? I heard the story about the king down in the South Pacific, a king of one of those little islands he used to go hunting all the time out on expeditions. And his, his good friend would go with him. And his good friend was an optimist among optimists. He would always say, wow, this is good. It is good, he would say. Well, it was the friend's job and responsibility to load the guns. And so the king one day, they were out hunting, and the king fired, but the gun misfired. And he ended up losing his thumb. And the friend of his said, oh, it is good. It is good. And the king said, it is not good. It is not good. And he put him in jail. About a year later when the king had healed up, of course missing his thumb now, he went on another expedition down in Papua New Guinea where he came upon some cannibals. They captured him, tied him to the stake, and they were getting ready to burn him, cook him for dinner, and they realized he was missing a thumb. The cannibals were superstitious and they believed that you were not to eat someone who was not whole and so they let him go free. So the king began to think about how good it was he was missing the thumb. He went back. He let his friend out of jail and he apologized and the friend said, no, it is good, it is good. And the king said, how in the world can you say it is good? I locked you up in jail. He said, oh, if I were not in jail, I would have been with you. <laughs> there are times that we don't always see the good in things and I, I, I know that is the case. And for some here today, we sing the song, Good, Good Father. And there have probably been times in your life when you have questioned the goodness of God. Afflictions will do that. You see, we realize that God can do anything. And if God can do anything, we don't understand why he doesn't solve our problem. We do not fully understand the no of God. And that's hard for us sometimes. And so today, I hope you'll find some peace and solace in all this. I hope that God will help us with this. And we need to pray that way. We're going to start out in Romans 8, 37, where we've been starting all of our sermons in this series. And then we're going to go into Matthew, I'm sorry, into John chapter 16. So uh, Romans 8 and then John chapter 16. And most of you may know just by the subject that we're dealing with today, we're going to spend a little time in Job. If you were to ask anybody that's been in church any length of time at all, uh, who comes to mind when you think of severe afflictions and problems, it wouldn't be long in that conversation before they would say, how about Job? And so we're going to talk a little bit about him and what he went through. But let's pray first. It's important for us to do that. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege you've given us to gather. And Lord, I, I confess to you, I don't know all the problems your people are facing. 
I know that you do. And so God, today, I just, I want to point him in your direction. Lord, I can't solve the issues that they face, nor can the people seated next to them, but I know, God, that your Holy Spirit can help. And so I pray for the work of the Holy Spirit today. I pray he will be the comforter, that he will live up to that name, God, as he does so often in my life. And God, I pray that he will comfort and encourage. And Lord, just give us a peace over these things that tend to rob us of our peace. Help us now, Lord, to realize that when you said we were more than conquerors, you meant even over our afflictions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Romans 8.37 is our key verse for this whole series. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We want to keep stressing. We are more than conquerors, and this is through Jesus Christ. He who loved us. And it's an amazing thing, his love for us. Loved us so much, of course, he died on the cross for us. In John chapter 16, as a matter of fact, I'd like to take more time with you and read the whole text. I'll not do that, but in the verses just before this, Jesus is talking about how the Father loves his people, how the Father loves you. And he even mentions that. We just sang that song, we have a good, good Father, and indeed he is a good Father. But I say to you, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? If we're truthful and honest with ourselves, we question the goodness of God. And maybe you're listening to this today, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I hear what you say, but God sometimes appears selfish. God sometimes appears not to have my best in mind. And I'm just being real with you today, because that is the way a lot of people feel whenever they're going through severe afflictions. Am I right? And we have to be careful with that, indeed. God is not selfish, although we do not, uh, we do not sometimes have clear in our mind, He does not exist for our glory, we exist for His. Amen. And we get that a little out of balance sometimes in our life, and so I, I hope that you'll find something that may help you out through all of this. And in John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus makes this statement, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now that's a great verse, but, but let's, let's look at something. What he's talking about is a coexistence, if you will, of peace with adversity or affliction. He's not talking about replacing one or the other. Are you following me? He, he says as believers, as his people, as followers of him, you can have peace... But you're going to face tribulation in this world. And the word tribulation in the Greek in this particular text is the word philipsis. And it literally means affliction, pressure, distress. We could define the word uh, affliction for you as is done by Webster. That which causes persistent suffering, pain, or distress. If you'll allow me, I'd like to broaden that a little bit with you and simply refer to it this way. Anything that robs you of your peace could be considered an affliction. Now the list is long and I hesitate to even start in on a list, but let me do it for the sake of, of introduction. That some today are going through affliction that might be physical. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe you were just diagnosed with something that uh, is just horrible and, and, and you're dealing with a disease of some kind. Maybe nobody else knows about it. Maybe you're awaiting test and you're fearing that very thing. And fear in itself can be an affliction. Can I get an amen or an uh-huh? It in itself can be an affliction. Maybe you've had problems with children. 
Family matters are among the most stressful that we sometimes deal with. Maybe your children have decided to go away uh, in, in a direction, travel in a direction that is contrary to what you know God has for them, and they're, they're making major mistakes, and you're wondering, is God going to be gracious and bring them back around? And that wears on you, and it tears you up inside day in and day out. Maybe you yourself have suffered the loss of a child, a horrific thing, an unnatural thing for a child to pass before a parent. Maybe it was because of an accident that occurred that you lost someone that you love. Maybe it was because of a miscarriage. Maybe you yourself as a young person have had to deal with infertility and you do not understand why God will not do something in that regard and the anguish that is involved. Our afflictions can be physical, they can be psychological, they can be emotional, and they can even be related spiritually. There's all kinds of afflictions and problems that we go through. And Jesus said this, in the world you're going to have them. There's an odd thing about this thing of affliction, I believe, and uh, indeed bad things happen to good people. We don't understand that. We say, well, we should somehow get an exemption. I'm exempt from affliction card when we got saved. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you pull that baby out all the time. We, if, we're, if we're truthful with ourselves, we believe that our prayer life should stop all affliction. We believe that somehow we should not encounter these things. Maybe that's for other people who are not serving God. And it even gets worse when you see other people who are not serving God seemingly be blessed. The Bible deals with that. I'm just being real, am I right? Do you feel that way? So I don't understand this, God. You did this for them and they don't even acknowledge you. And here I am acknowledging you and, and you've not done this for me. Our trials, as you've heard it said, no, time, no, no doubt many times before, they either make us better or they can make us bitter. So we're talking about today how to overcome these things and how to deal with these things how to be more than a conqueror even through our afflictions that we deal with in our life. The key to this, I believe, is that the Holy Spirit can bring peace. Jesus said, I want you to have peace as while I'm telling you these things, that in me you may find peace. It's got to be in Christ. It's not going to come from anywhere else. It's going to come from Him. In the world, you're going to have affliction, tribulation, but be of good cheer. He said, I've overcome the world. And so we, I want to approach this with you as though we are on a journey. And may I say to you, it is a journey that none of us would choose to take. It is a journey of affliction. Affliction has carried us on this thing. And here's what I'd like to do with you today. I want to make four stops. And with each stop, let us make an observation about where it is in this journey of affliction that we are at and, and what, what, we should, what we should pay attention to and observe in this, in this stop. The very first stop, we're going to simply name the grief stop. The grief stop. And here I want you to see this, that grief consumes us. Now this is probably no... no uh, uh, earth-shaking truth to you, you understand this. If you've had any affliction in your life whatsoever, and most of you have, uh, if you've been, uh, uh, if you've been uh, blessed to the point that you've not had to deal with it yet, uh, hang on because part of your growth, and we'll deal with this later, is going to involve some affliction in your life. Maybe not you personally, but somebody who's very close to you. And many times those things can be worse on us than if we were dealing with it ourselves. As a matter of fact, many times I've heard parents say, if only I could deal with this and not them. 
And so I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, be careful because grief will consume you. In the field of athletics, even in the uh, process of working out in a gym locally or whatever it is you do, you're accustomed to seeing signs that read, no pain, no gain. And you put yourself through all sorts of stuff, man. You stay on the bike extra time. You stay on the treadmill extra time. And you know you're pressing and you're pushing yourself. But when it comes to real life, what we want is the gain without the pain. We don't expect the pain, we don't desire the pain, we don't want the pain, we don't ask for the pain. Matter of fact, we ask for no pain. Much gain, no pain. That's the sign in our study, it ought to be there, right? I mean, that's our prayer. But it doesn't work that way, does it? Nonetheless, that's what we think. In Job chapter 2, let me take you there for a moment. Let's go to the book of Job, or as the new convert called it. You got a book in here about jobs. <laughs> so let's take a look at that book about job. Chapter 2. Many of you, of course, know the story, and I'll not take time to read it all, but Job, his problems, the root of his problems, the source of his problems came from the devil, our adversary. We've been talking about him the last two weeks. I'm through talking about him for a while, but I'll mention him every now and then. He's on, on to all of us and out to get all of us, and he was with Job. You might remember that God is the one that brought up Job and said, you know, have you considered my servant Job? Here's a guy who is living right. He brings me much glory uh, by the way that he lives. And, and the devil said, well, really, the, and this, is a, this is the Patrick version, so bear with me a moment, okay? Really, the only reason why he's, he's living for you like he is because you've been so good to him. I bet if you'd let me get at him, I bet if you'd let me do some things to him, he'd curse you, God. I bet I could turn him against you. So God said, well, you know what I'll do? I'll let you do this, but not this. And he began to set limitations and restrictions on him. And of course, he goes through things that most of us would pray and hope we never have to face. He loses his children. He loses his wealth. He, his wife even is pitted against him. His wife says to him things like, why don't you just curse God and die? a couple that needs counseling I'd say <laughs> that's a rough one man in Job chapter 2 beginning in verse 11 Job has friends oh for the friends of Job he has three friends but before we condemn them uh, for what we know about them, let me remind you of something that takes place at the very beginning. When they heard of Job's sorrows and they heard of what he was going through, let me begin reading for you in verse 11 of Job chapter number 2. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz the Timnonite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Later, Job would say of these friends of his, you are miserable comforters. <laughs> Job 16, he says it. 
But prior to that event, prior to them opening their mouths, I want you to get this picture. For seven days, they sat down with their friend. And seven nights. And they were so moved by what he was going through, they could not speak. They were friends. They had missed something because most of their counsel dealt with the fact that Job must have sin in his life is why he was going through these things. And they had missed the fact that yes, God does chasten us. Let us not ignore that. God can do that. He can chasten us. He is a good, good father. And whether you believe in whippings or not, God does. <laughs> Amen? Amen? He's not worried about the public opinion. He'll spank you. He knows how to chasten us because he loves us and he brings us back in line. However, not every problem and every adversity that comes your way is because of some horrible thing in your life, because of something you have done wrong. It was that way with Job. It, it had nothing to do with what he had done. It was all about God receiving glory out of how Job was going to handle all these problems. But his friends didn't see it. But what I'm trying to get across to you is this. When it comes to this thing of our grief being so great that it consumes us, that is where Job is. And his friends were affected by it and thank God for friends listen sometimes folks I'm going to tell you something you might get a little aggravated with your friends even with your family because you're in an affliction and you feel like they don't understand and you feel like the words they say are hollow and they don't comprehend let me tell you something you are right they don't understand and they don't know what to do and sometimes they just sit there and they don't know what to say Maybe they're praying for you secretly and maybe they're saying the wrong things at the wrong times. But understand that you are loved. You are loved by God and you are loved by others even when they don't know how to handle the affliction that you're going through. So his friends sat with him. 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 6 reads this way. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, there are many things in this verse that I could deal with, but let me hone in on a couple of things. First of all, let me give you this. Biblically speaking, there is a difference between trials and trials of your faith. A trial could be considered virtually anything you're going through that is a difficulty, but you have somehow the resources to handle it. Maybe you have to go back onto savings. Maybe you have to go on some kind of special diet. Maybe you have to go through something that involves some treatments. Maybe you have to go through or you have to do something, but there's a resource that is available for the trial. A trial of your faith has no answer. A trial of your faith, your resources cannot touch. When you cannot see any way through, that is a trial of your faith. When you have to simply depend on God. When you come to the place in your life that you actually say, you know, I don't understand this thing and I have no way of dealing with it. So I'm going to just lean on God. That's all I can do. That is a trial 
of your faith. A, a, an indicator of the trial of your faith is it will come from every direction possible. It'll be multifaceted. It will not be in one area. It will be in all kinds of areas. And it will come against you and you will say, I don't understand this. I don't know what's going on. It's a trial of your faith. Now, Peter had learned we were to rejoice in times like that. Well, that's a tough one. Paul learned that. Paul even went as far as saying, and we'll read it later on, Lord permitting, that he found, he found that he rejoiced in tribulation, in those difficulties. I, and I got to confess, ladies and gentlemen, I struggle with that. I do. I, I don't really thank God for a whole lot of problems that come my way. And maybe I'm more like you than, 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 than you're willing to admit. The truth of the matter is, we don't always understand that God is showing himself strong and there's a purpose to what we're going through and even though it consumes us. Absolutely no answer, it seems. In Job chapter 6, we were there earlier in Job, but in Job chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 and reading through the first few verses, Job actually is, is wishing that he were dead. Sometimes afflictions can do this to us. Then Job answered and said, verse 1 of chapter 6, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed, and my calamity laid with it on the scales, for then it would be heavier than the sands of the sea, he said. Can you imagine that? If you took all the sand of the sea, you ever tried to move a bag of sand? It's heavy, man. Can you imagine all the sand of the sea? He said, my grief is heavier than that. A little later on, uh, same chapter, down in uh, verse number 8, it reads, Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant me the thing that I long for, that it would please God to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off. Now, I want to get real with you for just a minute. And the reality is that sometimes your affliction will make you think you'd be better off to leave this world and go and be with the Lord. Now, if you've never been in that affliction before, I'm glad. But if you are there, let me tell you something. You've got to trust God to get you through it and you've got to endure. It is not up to us to make that decision. It is up to him to make that decision. But it is, you are not alone to feel that way is what I want you to understand and know. Because your grief will crush you. It will consume you. And if you'll let it, it'll bring you to that same point that Job was in. But you've got to learn to handle it the way that Job handled it. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. I think about verses of the Bible that deal with anguish of soul. And my mind goes to Hannah, who the Bible says could not have any children. And so she prays. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Now I confess to you today, I don't fully understand what those phrases mean. Oh, I can read them, I understand that. I can look for definitions of the Hebrew words. I can do all that. But as far as understanding the bitterness of soul and the anguish that a woman goes through when she is trying to have a child and has not been able to have that child, I confess to you, I do not understand that. I cannot comprehend that. 
I have seen it emotionally affect people. I have seen it physically affect people. I have seen it where there is great affliction and, and difficulty that they deal with in their life. But to comprehend it, I cannot comprehend it. I pray uh, for the people who I know that are having it and going through difficulties. What I love about this text is it didn't allow her, at least that bitterness of soul, it did not cause her not to communicate with God. The Bible says she prayed. Be careful because sometimes the bitterness in our hearts will cause us to go away from God, to be drawn away instead of drawn closer to God. Now I know what some are thinking, well, God blessed her though and took away the affliction and gave her a child and indeed that is the case. He did do that. But she turned around and gave that child. How difficult that must have been. Would you agree? For this child I prayed and then she turns around and gives him to Eli to be raised there in the, in the tabernacle. And so God then in chapter 2, the Bible tells us, gave her more children. And it's a wonderful story. Now, does every case end that way? No, it doesn't. And I don't understand a lot of that because quite honestly, I pray for God's favor on you every day. I pray for God's favor on our church, on our staff, on our family. I, I'd love to see God just pour out his favor. I don't fully comprehend either why God chooses to say no sometimes. But I am not God, nor are you. Yeah. I know that comes as a shock to some of you. <laughs> We're not. It's up to him. So let me talk about the second thing then. How do we handle the nose of God? The second stop is going to be called the grace stop. And here grace confounds us. Grace confounds us. Truly grace is amazing. We sing of it, but I don't know that we really comprehend that. Indeed God gives amazing grace. Amen. Most of you are familiar with the story no doubt of Paul the Apostle, who had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn is. I've, I've read a lot on it. I've studied it a lot. Some people say that it was epilepsy. Some people say that it was blindness, problems with his vision. Other people say that it was exactly what the Bible says, more of a literal definition, that it was a messenger of Satan who buffeted him. The interpretation of that, some uh, some uh, fallen angel or demon that was assigned literally to beat him up. In other words, Paul may have dealt with chronic pain. Some of our people deal with things like that. Maybe you're in such a state today. And Paul the Apostle, who by the way, remember the story Paul preached till, till midnight uh, and uh, Eutychus fell out of the window. You remember that story? He fell asleep. That's why you ought not fall asleep in church, by the way. You, get, you can get hurt doing that, falling asleep in church. Eutychus fell out of the window and he died. He died. So Paul went down and he rose him up. Man, he, he, he raised the dead through the power of God. The apostles had that ability. Peter, we saw Peter do the same thing. So the scripture tells us that God had given that ability. So here's a man, what I'm trying to get across to you is this. Here's a man who could bring back the dead by the power of God, but he couldn't do anything about the thorn in his own flesh. So he asked God, and the Bible says he asked him three times, he asked him, would you take this thing away from me, God? Now, we're not given those prayers. We don't know what those prayers sounded like, but if they sound anything like our prayers, maybe it would have been something like this. Lord, you know I've been serving you. 
God, you know I could do more for you. God, why are you blessing that fellow over there and you're not blessing me? Lord, you know, I, does any of that sound familiar? Does that sound, and, and I don't know if that's the way Paul prayed, but he said, God, remove this thing three times, and God said what? No. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then we read this of the Apostle Paul. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, my goodness. You know, adversity is um, completely relevant to our own maturity. And what I mean by that is this. Do not underestimate your children who come home from school and the child is having a major problem. Maybe, maybe there's been a problem at school and somebody's been picking on them or making fun of them. Or maybe they have a good friend that no longer wants to be their friend. Children do that sort of thing. Am I right? Can I get an aha? Uh -huh? And maybe you're looking at their life and you're saying, yeah, you, you need problems, man. That's no problem. I'm having struggles paying the mortgage payment or I'm about to go through this problem or I'm having trouble at work. Now those are real problems. What we don't understand is that our problem, though it seems tremendously real to us, it is, it is on a similar level to what their problem is for them. It's just as much of an anguish for them going through what they're going through as it is for you going through what you're going through. We don't understand that. We have a tendency to belittle the problem of the teenager when the teenager comes in and is going through some difficulties. And we look at that and we compare that to the more mature problems that some of us face. And, and we don't understand that. We don't comprehend. But we've got to learn to look at it as it is based on, it is relevant to whatever your level of maturity is. That is the problem you're going through. So Paul the Apostle had reached a level where he said, you know something, I've learned this. I've learned that every time that I am weak and I can't do anything about my problems, it is an opportunity for the power of Christ to rest upon me. Amen. For him to take over. And I've kind of gotten to the place where I find that really neat, Paul's saying. I believe that's what he's saying. I find that cool. I find that something I want. I, I want his power to rest on me. But that means you've got to have weakness. That means you've got to have infirmities. It means you've got to have affliction means you got to go through tribulation. So God said, no. I'm not going to do for you what you think I'm going to do. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to give you my grace. Well, see, this is hard for me to comprehend too. Because, I mean, I'm a Bible student. Come on. Grace means what? God's favor. Undeserved. Well, how can that be God's favor? Do we not wrestle with this? I mean, am I the only one? Are we not? Oh, wait a minute. I'm going through an affliction. Has God favored me because he's let me stay in the affliction? He may have. Yeah. He may have. Well, we don't understand this. We can't comprehend. We really believe that ultimately what it boils down to is this. Is that we've got it all figured out. And if God would just do it the way we think it needs to be done, life would be so much better. <laughs> Am I right? I know some of you are saying, you speak for yourself, preacher. I'm not amen in that. <laughs> but that's the way we feel sometimes. We think, you know, 
We got this thing figured out. We, we fail to see and understand some things. Now, the way that God's grace kicks in, there are three things we need to do to really comprehend this thing of God's grace getting us through, okay? I'm going to give them to you real quickly. Uh, they all begin with the letter R. First of all, we have to rely. Literally, we have to trust Him. And that is not easy to do, but I'm going to come back to these with you in a minute. We have to rely on Him. Next, we have to recognize what do we need to recognize? We need to recognize that God sees what we cannot see. Now, please make note of that, all right? I'm going to come back to that. Rest is the last one. We just have to rest in him. I, I like the definition of rest that tra trust is faith at rest. Trust is faith Amen. at rest. You see, that's where the peace can be found, saying, you know, God knows what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. Let me go back to this thing of recognition for just a minute. Let's say that you have a friend, and your friend takes and blindfolds you and takes you on a little journey and takes you out to this huge cliff, this mountainous cliff, and you're down at the bottom of it, and, uh, and, and he walks you right up to the face of this cliff, this mountainous structure, walks you right up to the face, gets you three inches away, and removes the blindfold. Now, what do you see? Just rock. Now, you can turn your head all kinds of directions, but you cannot see this whole picture. Do you understand where I'm going with this? You see, we're living in a certain area, a small world that we face. We don't see everything. We don't know everything. We don't know how God is doing what he's doing. We don't have the full picture. God is God. And he looks at the whole thing. And he says, you know what I'm doing? I'm at work in all of these areas. But we don't comprehend all that. We just see our little block of the world. And we expect God to somehow do what we need done, what we want him to do. And the afflictions we may be going through may have something to do with the whole picture. When I think about some of our problems that we face and the questions that we have for God, there are two things that come to mind is uh, using the words provide and protect. Maybe God wants to provide. Maybe he wants to provide a home for someone who is in the adoption process is why perhaps he's not allowed you to have your own I don't know this maybe God wants to take someone out of a bad situation he wants to use you to do it and he has found you somehow worthy of being used by him in a way that he cannot use everyone and instead of being someone who you view as being afflicted you're actually a chosen vessel of God to do his work Maybe God wants to protect. Maybe that in the harshest of situations that you look at and you say, I don't understand. Maybe, maybe there is a level of God protecting that person and, 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 and protecting you. And, and by not doing what you want him to do, maybe there is actually some goodness of God in the big picture. And trust says, I can, I can somehow rest in that. I can share with you a personal story only to this point that there have been times I have broken down before God and I have asked him for understanding and received none. And so my prayer would sometimes change and it literally has been this, Lord, will, 
Will you at least give me peace where you will not give me understanding? And I can testify to you that he has. And maybe some of you are in that place right now in your own life. I don't know. Maybe that's what your prayer needs to be. Will you at least give me peace where you will not give me understanding? God is under no obligation to show you the full picture. And in most cases, you couldn't handle the full picture. Amen? We couldn't, we couldn't handle it. But he knows what he's doing. We may not. But he knows what he's doing. The third stop we're going to stop at is the growth stop. And here we need to observe that growth conforms us. It conforms us. Now growing is a difficult thing. I don't care who you are or what you've been through. Children grow. They have growing pains. Don't they? Huh? You remember some of those leg cramps you had when you were a kid? Some of you, that's a long time ago. But you remember those? You had those? And uh, the, the truth is, I mean, all kinds of growing has pains to it. You grow spiritually, there are pains. You, you grow in your relationships, there are pains. You, you, uh, uh, you, you have to go through those things in order to grow. And so understanding the no's of God, uh, that when he says no, there, there is something that he's doing. He has this master plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you are no doubt familiar with it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's from the ESV and the NASB, both read the same way. I love the way that they're written in the terms of he is out to give us a future and a hope. So what does this mean that we're to grow in this whole thing? That the affliction we have is having some kind of positive effect on us. Well, let, let me talk about it just a moment with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, deals with this. And now, if you have, for some reason, been missing out on everything I've been talking about, maybe I lost you way back when I said, turn to the book of Job. I, I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to... I'm going to ask you to hone in with me for just a minute, okay? Focus in on this because if, you, if you've missed everything else, get this before you leave today, okay? Then you can go back and take a nap. It'll be fine. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. Now notice this, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now let me put that in modern day English for you. Sometimes God allows affliction in your life so that he can give to you the comfort you need so that you can minister to others going through the same thing you've just gone through. You say, wait a minute, I didn't ask to be in the ministry. Well, welcome to it. <laughs> he don't ask you, he just calls you. And we've been made ministers unto him. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you serve a purpose in Christ and there's a reason for what you're going through. And you now have, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. When you have walked with God through adversity, when you have been through those dark jungles of life, I'm going to tell you something. You have walked with him in places not everybody has walked with him in. You have known him in an intimate way that many will never know him. But you will know him in a way that somebody needs to know him. 
And you can bring to them light that no one else can bring to them. If you'll let him use you. Scripture continues, I'll try to read it. Verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our own trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Does that sound familiar? Maybe you've been there, maybe not in those same circumstances. Maybe you were not thrown into the den of lions. Maybe you were not facing physical death, but you're at the point maybe that Job was where your affliction has brought you to the point that you begin to question now why you are even alive and you are at the despair of life. Yes, he said we had a sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul said, look, we came to a point where it was a trial of our faith. We didn't have any answers. We didn't know what to do. So we just had to trust in him. Verse 10, who delivered us up from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also, notice this please, verse 11, you also helping together in prayer for us. By the way, one of the greatest things in the world you can do for your friends is to pray for them. One of the greatest things you can do in your own adversity is to pray. And yet it's probably one of the last things you want to do. Because again, we are moved to the point where we say, you know, God is able to do anything. Why doesn't he do it? And we don't always understand all that he's accomplishing. But I want you to catch this. Don't miss this. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Notice verse 12. For our boasting is this. Listen, this ought to be what we can say. Listen to it. Our boasting is this. The testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. Not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. You know what he said? Listen, if, if there's anything found in this that can be, can be to the glory, if there's anything good that's come out of this, let me tell you what we boast in. We're not boasting in the fact that every time we pray we get exactly what we want. We're not boasting in the fact that God always gives me what I ask for. We know he didn't because he asked three times to be delivered from the thorn in the flesh. We're not boasting in any of that, but we are boasting in this, that our testimony has been that we have lived we have conducted ourselves in this world with a godly sincerity that we have walked with God and not faltered in our faith. That is the story of Job. And that is the story of some who are here today. And that is the story of many who may be listening online. It's a matter of growing. Paul the Apostle in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12, wrote this, Not that I have already attained 
or am already perfected. But I press on. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, press on. Press on. Paul said, let me tell you something. I have not attained. I have not arrived. There's a lot of stuff in my life that are not going the way I wanted to go. But I press on. That I may lay hold on that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Paul's saying, let us all have this mind that we move on from where we are. We press forward. We press on. Many of you are no doubt familiar with the story of the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Most of you know that in the late 1800s, a wealthy man in Chicago by the name of Horatio Spafford lost all of his real estate dealings in the Chicago fire and just prior to that in a Job-like story, lost his son. To recover from much of this, and I am told, having done some reading on the subject, that he actually was good friends with the great evangelist D.L. Moody. To recover from much of what he was going through, he decided that a trip over to Great Britain was in order. So he sent his wife and his four daughters on a ship bound in order to enjoy some time away from all of the problems that had taken place in Chicago and the loss of their son, and to spend time helping Moody with a revival that he was conducting in England, I'm told. Most of you know the story that because of some business decisions, Spafford had to stay behind in Chicago and he sent his family on on the ship. A vessel by the name of Valle du Havre. And so they went. In November of 1873, November the 22nd, the ship was struck by the Lockern, an English vessel, and it went down. Survivors were searched for, his wife was found, but his four daughters were lost at sea. She, when she reached shore, sent back a cable to her husband reading simply, Saved Alone. Spafford then, taking the ship across the sea, was called up by the captain when they reached the point that the other ship had gone down. And it is reported that it was there in that sight that he was pinning the words to it as well with my soul. He wrote, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So difficult to come to that place in our life that we're able to actually say that. It requires a certain amount of growth, but we can get there. There's a great verse in Jeremiah 
This morning God spoke to my heart and I added this to the message and I don't want to go any further without giving it to you. So let me tell you about it. In Jeremiah chapter 18, one of my favorite passages of scripture, God speaks to Jeremiah the prophet and he says, I want you to go down to the potter's house and I want you to tell me what you see. So Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house and he sees the potter busy on the wheels. And he records this in verse number four. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again. Into another vessel. He made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Can I tell you something for whatever it's worth? There may be certain uses that God cannot use you for unless you were already marred in the hand of the potter and you had to be remade. There's a certain consistency in the Bible with God using people who had been broken and God remakes them. If you find yourself marred in the hand of the potter, don't get all upset. Just get excited that he's remaking you. And he's going to use you in a new way as seems right with him. He is the potter and we are the clay. I know my time is going and you guys have been so patient with me, but I have one more stop. I'll try to make it brief, but I have one more stop. How do you get to the point of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and you're walking around in the fire and not complaining? How do you get to the point of Daniel who spent all night in the lion's den and early in the morning the king wants to know how it's going. He says, it's going great down here. God gave the lions a set of lockjaw and we're doing great. No problem at all. How do you get to that point in your life when you can endure the afflictions and the difficulties? How do you get to the point that Paul and Silas were when they were arrested for nothing other than preaching the gospel? And at midnight in the jail, while in stocks, they were singing praises unto God. How do you get to that point? I think it involves all of the stops we've already talked about. But keeping in mind, there is another stop. Number four, we're going to call it the graduation stop. Here, graduation consoles us. This is not all there is. Are you hearing me? This is not all there is. There's some consolation to knowing that there's a place waiting on us that is better than this place. But the Bible talks about this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And he goes on to talk about how what we're going through here, there's going to come a time when all this is over. The Bible tells us that Abraham lived his life as a pilgrim. You ever thought about this? Listen, of all the archaeology that will ever be done over in the Middle East, they will never uncover the house of Abraham. He never had one. One of the wealthiest men in all the world. He roamed in tents, tent after tent, moving around from place to place. And the reason was, he said, I'm simply a pilgrim in this place and my citizenship is there. That is, the Bible records in the book of Hebrews, he sought for a place whose builder and maker was God. Amen. 
we forget sometimes that this is not what it's all about down here. That a graduation day is coming. That the rapture is going to occur and there's going to be a great reunion in heaven. And there'll be babies that we see there that we've never even met down here. There are going to be loved ones that have gone on prematurely that we'll be reunited with. There'll be a whole lot of stuff that's happening. It'll be a wonderful thing and the afflictions will be no more. And there'll be no more tears. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more death. For the former things are gone. And he has made all things new. Did Job understand this? Job 19 beginning in verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed. This I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Job said, I know this one's not, it's not all about this. It's not about here and now. It's about there and forever. Amen. Of all the crowns that are given to us for the way we live our life, I've teased before about saying that God is not necessarily a supporter of the upward program. Not everybody gets a trophy in heaven. I just want you to know that. <laughs> But you can get some. There's five crowns that are given out. There's the imperishable or the uncorruptible. There's the crown of rejoicing. There's a crown of glory. There's a crown of righteousness. But I want to talk to you about the fifth one, which is the crown of life. The Bible tells us what that crown is about and who gets it. Revelation 2 and verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of of life. James chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Did you know that all that pain and suffering you're going through one day is going to be rewarded with a crown of life forever and all of eternity? I want to give you this in closing, just three keys to successfully dealing with afflictions. I'm going to just give them all to you and then I want to talk to you about them in closing. Praise, patience, and purpose. Praise. Proverbs 17 verse 22 reads, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Look for things to thank God for. Even in the midst of your affliction, I'm telling you, there are things you can thank Him for. Amen. The psalmist often praised his way out of his own depression. Yes. Yes. And we can do the same. Patience. You've heard of the patience of Job. Patience is no more than perseverance, endurance. Remember that armor of God we talked about a few weeks back? I know it seems like an eternity ago. It's only a few weeks ago. We talked about putting on the armor and doing what? And standing. So stand. Endure. Just a little more. Just a little further. Just another day. Every day. Every day. Press on. Paul would say. Press on. Ask yourself, God, what purpose does this serve in my life? What purpose does this thing serve in my life? And I believe this. Listen carefully. 
you've not successfully handled adversity or affliction in your life until you have moved from the state of misery to the point of ministry. And you let the God of all comfort use you for his honor and his glory.